Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. Why does our society assume that older people have no sexuality? And what impact does this assumption have on individuals in the ageing population? Today on Women on the Line, we explore the importance of sexual expression among older people and some of the issues faced by women around sexuality as they age, particularly in aged care services. I'm joined by Dr Catherine Barrett, a Senior Research Fellow and Coordinator of a Sexual Health and Ageing Program at the Australian Research Centre in Sex, Health and Society at La Trobe University, and Dallas Sargent, former Director of the Social Biology Resources Centre. Dallas is 87 years old and was named a member of the Order of Australia for her work in sex education and for her work with people with disabilities. I spoke to Catherine and Dallas about how women over 60, 70 and 80 years old relate to sexuality in today's society, how things have changed and where there is significant room for improvement. And just a trigger warning, this episode of Women on the Line contains a brief discussion of sexual assault. Uh, Catherine and Dallas, thank you so much for being on Women on the Line. Thanks, Amy. That's my pleasure. <laughs> or perhaps I'll ask you first, Dallas, uh, what are some of the major changes you've witnessed in terms of society's attitudes to sex and sexuality? Oh, an enormous difference in the way in which women's sexual lives can be talked about mm. and even experienced unknown to be. So what was it like? Well, I think my mother typified what it was like for women and I was her firstborn and she didn't ever talk about her experience with my father but I don't think she enjoyed it. And she had a towel that was beside her bed which she probably used to wipe herself. She was very, very private about having sex. Yeah. And what impact did that have on you, do you think? Well, I was very private too. Mm. (laughs) And sort of all my experiences of being sexual and feeling sexual were very private. Never discussed them with my mother. I think that has changed substantially. Although I don't think that many young women today would still talk with their mothers, but that's probably because I'm so old. <laughs> I must admit, I talk with my mum in great detail. You do or you I did? I do, I do. But I think that we're, we might be an anomaly. You might be. I don't know, Catherine, whether you... No, my mother and I don't talk about sex or sexuality, really. Mm. My mum's 83. Three or mm. around there, She's and I'm fifty-four. Contemporary. And I think a lot of my friends, friends my age, don't mm. 
mm. talk about sex or sexuality with their parents as well. Mm. And I certainly never did with my father. Well, it's an interesting thing that we've had. Um, so obviously I've, uh, I'm referring a little bit to Catherine, your article in Archer magazine, um, which is about sexuality and aged care. Uh, and Dallas, you're interviewed in the article. Uh, and that issue of Archer magazine has had a little bit of uh, attention because it's ruffled some feathers um, because people don't expect to see ageing bodies in the media, etc. Mm. I wonder how much this has to do with the parent factor. Oh, I'm sure it's got a lot. Is that you don't talk publicly with people who are older than you. Mm. I wonder whether we're a bit conservative too, whether younger folk as well are more conservative yes. when it comes to older people's sexuality. Mm. I think one of the things that I love about the magazine is that it it might be, for me, one of the first times I've read an article on sexuality that has been accompanied by um, sexual images mm. of older people. And I think that's that's an absolute celebration of older people's sexuality. And given that we've not done a lot of that, maybe it is kind of for people. And photographs of ordinary bodies, not not the sort of beautiful body. Mm. That's the fear, Loren. Looking 25 at 75. Mm. So why is society so afraid to see ageing bodies and to think about ageing people having sex? Well, I did a small study of three populations when I was working in social biology and I included sixth-year medical students, primary school trainee students, trainee teachers, and social work students because I was teaching them at the time. Uh, through Melbourne University. So I had Melbourne University sixth-year medical mm. lot and gave them all the same questionnaire. And there were the only people who thought it was okay to think about our old, our parents being sexual was with the social work students. Now, they had been given a fairly intensive sexuality education within their social work, basic coursework through the subject that we were teaching called Mm. social biology. And the medical students thought that their parents didn't enjoy sex. Mm. They were 60 a lot. So they were going out into the field fairly soon um, into regular medical training in the clini- clinical practice. And the primary school teachers certainly thought there was no hope of their parents being sexual as older people. And how does the reality differ from that mythology, do you think? Well, I think our parents were still very busy yeah. sexually. Hmm. Not necessarily everyone, but... And I think I think one of the things that's that's really interesting, Dallas, about you know that I'm imagining the school teachers and the medical staff, and where do they get that idea that older people aren't sexual? I think you can bring it back to ageism. We are oh an, yes, an ageist society. Mm. We don't think of um, we don't associate beauty with older people. We don't associate sexually attractive with older people, and I think that that rise of 
um, I, I think com- commercially sort of based drive to combat ageism and and looking beautiful is about looking young and looking yes, sexy is yes, about looking young. That's where it's based. I think we feel very taboo about the idea of an old-looking mother or father being sexual. It isn't done. Mm. So it's a media issue as well. Yes. Well, I think I think community. Well, and the big big companies. I mean, there are there are trillions of dollars being made in the cosmetic industry mm-hmm. combating and ageism, anti anti aging creams mm-hmm. and everything. Why and would anyone be anti aging? Well, you're anti. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to look like that. <laughs> and you think? I mean, I don't know whether you've ever seen the Pirelli calendar, which is a calendar for selling tyres, and they're always. As you would selling tyres, there are always lots of naked women on Draped the calendar. over the tyres, over the tyres, and there the was cars. a couple Just of like years, real life. Yep. A couple of years ago, there was there was <laughs> there was talk that Sophia Loren, at the age of I don't know seventy five, had done a naked shot for the Pirelli calendar, and I thought I have to see this calendar because this is fantastic that we have got an older woman being profiled on the Pirelli calendar for, you know, the back of the auto mechanic shop. And when I saw the image, she looks 25. Mm. And I think she, and and what I realised was she's not on the calendar because she's an older woman. She's on the calendar because she she looks 25. What you'd expect. And I think I think we should have you in the Pirelli calendar. Oh God, no! I, I <laughs> or have a or, or have an older women's Pirelli calendar. Mm. I mean, I've got a nasty body in the sense that I've got a real apron of belly hanging over over an area of my pubes, which is has to be lifted up to get to the red skin that's underneath the belly, the, the apron that hangs over. And so when I went skinny dipping at the age of, I don't know, 40, 48, I think, the first time, was I went skinny dipping and my husband was more afraid than I was. He thought he'd get nipped <laughs> and, and bitten. <laughs> he was afraid of it and self-protective of his body. Well, I didn't. I just didn't feel good about being seen. How do you feel now about your body? Don't care. Oh, wouldn't want to be seen by a lot of ageist youngsters. Mm-hmm. No, no. Can I ask whether your whether your perceptions of your body have changed as you've aged, Stella? Oh, they are because I don't like that apron. Mm. I mean, I'm fat. Would you say that it's a that's a a fairly standard occurrence for women as they age? Probably, yeah. and the fact that now a lot of people don't expect to lose all their pubic hair, but I've had to inform a whole lot of women who are in their sort of 40-ish age group, have you noticed that your pubic hair is getting a bit thinner because mm. it's got to go? <laughs> and that's really quite a surprise for a lot of women. Does it go completely, Dallas? Yes, I think it does. I mm. didn't know that. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't. And the knowledge around sexuality from a younger age, whether it's positive or negative, has changed even since I was at school, I think. Would you agree with that, Catherine? Oh, it's changed enormously. And and I think one of the things that that we've got in our favour now in terms of sexual... um, sexuality education is um, the internet and computers. So, Mm. And sex is everywhere. 
Um, but you can also access that information in confidential ways so people can educate themselves. And so that is tr- transforming the way um, people see their sexuality, people see their entitlements. There's in a too much way. porn, is there? Yep. I think, because it disturbs the relationship between the man and the woman in terms of the expectations that a man educated exclusively through porn expects of a woman. Hmm. And Catherine, can you describe some of your experiences with um, older people and sexuality? Because yours is a unique perspective. Yeah, most of, most of well, my earlier experiences were working in residential aged care as a unit manager and being confronted um, one day in handover with, with one of the staff members who talked about one of the residents was masturbating in the shower and the staff member was really upset and she felt that, rightly so, that she shouldn't have to watch um, somebody else masturbating. So we sat down and we talked about it and we recognised that something had changed for that particular um, resident and what had happened was we'd got these new continence pads that were all in one and could stay on. You'd change them three times in a 24-hour period, but they were like, they actually worked like a chastity belt. And he, he, he was cognitively impaired and it stopped him accessing his genitals. And the only time the continence pad was off was when he was in the shower. So what we did was we talked with the night staff and they said, well, let's take the continence pad off at 6am. He can then have some time to masturbate and then by the time the staff get him up for a shower... Hella finished, and we did that, and it and it worked. And you know, I mean, it's it's rarely strategies are rarely ever that simple, but this time it worked. And and we talked about that in in more of the handovers in the team meetings. And people said, well, if we're going to do something about Brian and masturbating in the shower, we need to do something about Bob and Mary and Jane and Phil. Mm, and yes, and it opened up a conversation. And I still think that's the single most useful thing that service providers can do is have a, have conversations about sexuality because service providers are telling us that they are really seeing a lot of um, sexual expression or sometimes they might refer to as sexual behaviour and they're not sure how to respond. And that was also my experience because I was working with the people out at um, Fairfield and they were particularly pe- people who were disabled to the extent that they had iron lungs mm. and they couldn't handle themselves at all. Um, they really wanted someone else to masturbate them and people who ha- had had brain damage mm. were likewise and we arranged with the collaboration of certain staff to arrange for people from sex industry workers who were prepared to work with disabled people, that they came in and were privately with that passion. They didn't require any staff. Mm. Yes, so many issues must arise with this situation. Yes. So how do you overcome those? I mean, bringing sex workers into aged care facilities? Well, that was an agreement by the staff as long as they didn't have to do any of the cleaning up or any of the preparation, that the worker who was employed and was paid through money that the patient had was like a service Mm. from outside. But it has to occur at the request of the patient. That's right. right. 
And you, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about that story, Dallas, is that somebody's private life um, before um, has become public because they are in a care setting. So, Absolutely. and then people can make judgments. And I think I think one of the things that's that's really important, um, one of the really important messages is that is that you had that discussion with the team and and what I find often is that is that it'll it'll be one staff member's comfortable doing something or other and even talking yes yeah but but if you can even and what we what we're finding is is um often I get contacted when um a resident or a person in a service is crossing a sexual boundary and touching a staff member yes and some staff members or or making sexually suggestive remarks and if we take the remarks as an example, some people will laugh it off, some people get very offended, some people yes. can't go back. But what happens is if they don't talk about it as a team, particularly if the resident is cognitively impaired, then the resident doesn't understand what's okay and what's not. No. So they have to talk about it and they have to agree on a, agree on a strategy. But there is a policy which is upheld by the main person of the hospital or the institution. Management is really important, the key management. And un- understanding that, that for somebody who, who has dementia or, has a, oh, yes. who, or who is cognitively impaired has the right to sexual expression, mm. but because of the changes in their brain, it might be manifesting differently. They mightn't be able to, to tell the difference between public and private spaces, between what's appropriate and what's not. And, you know, if somebody has dementia, um, you know, wants to take off out the, out the door, you'll find that staff will be really great at saying, you know, oh, no, Mary, you know, you need to stay in here and this is what we're going to do. And, but when it comes to um, a, a behaviour or sexual expression, it can be much more difficult for staff to have those conversations. But we have to understand that the res- residents or older people do, do still have that right to express their sexuality and if they're doing it in ways that infringe on the rights of others then we need to sit down and say well how can we respond to that so we don't quash this person's right to sexuality Mm. but we manage it in a way that it is um, not infringing on the rights of others. And it's really important to recognise that there is a a difference then when the person goes home Mm. because the home situation can be really complex when the, a pattern has been identified as critical and important in the institution. Then they have to, the staff need to talk with the home carers. And this is with people who've got brain damage. It's very complex. Mm. And there must be uh, sort of complex reactions from the families of these patients. Oh, they patients. do. Mm. And how do you go about coping with those? Well, that's where there needs to be a person who's able to discuss issues of sexuality with anyone. Mm. As a healthcare professional, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Mm. And to and to acknowledge that discomfort. Like, I think mm. I think sometimes mm. that we we can't assume, and and sometimes people get afraid of having conversations with families. And they're not necessarily going to be easy mm. conversations, but to to be able to have a conversation and acknowledge to family members this might be difficult for you, but we need to to talk about what's happening here so that we can, um, you know, help to either resolve it or work out some strategies that are going to work for you at home. Mm.
I mean, one more question while we're on this uh, healthcare providers issue. At what point is it up to the family member to make a call on this, the limits on sexual behaviour or expression of a patient? Often, often we get asked um, questions and people want black and white answers. I think in a lot of situations there aren't black and white answers, mm. but what we say to, to um, service providers that are in this position is it, when you're feeling comfortable and confident having a conversation yourself, that comes across and for you to open up conversations with family members and, and not expect them necessarily to be easy, um, but mm. to open up those conversations. And um, that, that goes a long way to sort of mediating an outcome that is uh, motivated by what the client would want for themselves or what the older person would want for themselves rather than what the family would want for that older person. Mm. And I think, I think one of the things that's really interesting, delivering education to service providers, one of the things I reckon is really important to acknowledge is the emotional and personal nature of conversations and around the discomfort that you can experience maybe you feel pretty good about most things sexual but there's an area that you don't hmm. and and often we give people the example that if you were for example um, bringing in a new wound management strategy a new dressing for example hmm. you know it'd come with a set of technical instructions you give the information to people it's black and white hmm. there it is step one hmm. two three four everyone does it and um and, you know, over and done with, job done. But with with sexuality, there's a real, it's not as clear mm. and there's a very emotional aspect to it. We often think about our own values and beliefs and that makes it more complex. So what are some of the most significant issues facing older Australians, let's say, older women Older women? Well, it seems I've not experienced this, but sexual abuse. Um, I mean, you've been much more engaged with that area yeah and what and what we found was one of the in one of the key issues is that um the sexual assault of older women isn't being recognized because Mm. people think often um people think that older women don't get sexually assaulted because they're not sexually attractive and who would sexually assault an older woman because she's not sexually attractive Mm. they Mm. don't understand that it's necessarily Mm. about power Mm. So the so perceptions of older women as as being asexual contribute to us preventing, failing to prevent sexual assault. Mm. So that's that's mm. certainly one of the really significant consequences. Yes, a very unfortunate one. Is this an issue particularly in care situations? Well, interesting in the research that that we conducted, over half of the sexual uh, stories about sexual assault that were shared with us related to women being sexually assaulted by their intimate partner. Okay. And I think one of the, the, the challenges we have is that uh, if, if we just think about sexual assault as being in relation to residential aged care, we're missing this whole yeah. other really important. So older women um, who have, uh, you know, older men who have perhaps never been able to or never wanted to negotiate sexual consent and then adding in a level of, um, you know, if somebody gets dementia, then um, perhaps losing capacity to negotiate sexual consent. And older women who are ashamed and embarrassed uh, and not talking to health professionals about this is what's happening to them and not naming it as sexual assault. So talking about unwanted 
sexual contact. Mm. But, you know, stories of older women who are, you know, needing to have respite care to be able to have a break from um, their partner's sexual demands. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge issue. So what's... Um, it's not ever raised. Right. Respite in, in um, psychogeriatric uh, assessment or assessment of an older person of their geriatric needs as older people don't get discussed, I think. Well, it certainly wasn't raised with me in the psychogeriatric assessment of my needs as an old woman going into respite. It was not ever raised. Was I going to miss... I mean, if I'd been a person with a partner... Mm. I don't even know that they... I think they knew I was living alone. But it wasn't an issue. It might have been that I had a partner, but I was I was widowed. But they wouldn't expect you to have a partner. No. I don't so think. What do you think should be done differently in that situation? Well, I think you need to be asked if you have an intimate partner, even though you're a widow. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Need that possibility to be acknowledged. Yes. Yeah. So it's part of your questionnaire thinking. The, and the, the consequences roll on and on and on. I mean, there's been a 58% increase in STIs amongst older people. Um, we're doing some research in that area at the moment, but we think that one of the things that has happened is that older people haven't been given messages about safe sex. So there's a consequence of not having conversations mm. about sexuality. Mm. Um and I think probably, I think, you know, perhaps one of the most destructive consequences of not talking about sexuality is that we're not celebrating older people's sexuality. And I want to, you know, any younger person that's listening, I want you to think about what age would you hand over your sexuality? What age would you be prepared to say, I, I and I'm will no, no longer. longer a sexual being? And the answer from most people would be, no, I will never mm. hand over that right. No, and I, why should we expect that of older people? And I don't expect anybody to expect that of me. Mm. I mean, I've had two telephone toy boys. <laughs> <laughs> I contact them only by telephone or they of me. Don't have any physical contact with them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So thoroughly safe in terms of sexual infection. <laughs> <laughs> So is there a lot of sex among older people that society is turning a blind eye to? I think so. All right, Dallas, <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for your time. It was my real pleasure in the questions you've asked us. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Thank you. Thanks very much to our guests, Dr Catherine Barrett and Dallas Sargent. I hope you can join me next time for another edition of Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. 
Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au, or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.